Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Today is Wednesday, August the 19th, 2020, and we are continuing our study of the doctor's opinion on page XXX. The first paragraph, there are many situations, and we will be reading and commenting on that one paragraph only. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Kim T, 12 Traditions, Anita L, and readers of the text, Katie G, Wendy M, and Julie R. The reference numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, August the 18th, the 7 a.m. meeting, 15175, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 15176. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Kim T to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. This is Kim T, Compulsive Overeater, Northern Michigan, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove all shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kim T. And Anita L. will read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Anita. Good morning. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everybody. I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the doctor's opinion. We are on page XXX and reading the first paragraph. There are many situations. Katie G, would you read for us, please? Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Eater in Boston. There are many situations 
which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Um, I didn't understand what this meant when I first read this many years ago. I want to take a moment and just acknowledge that this means that there are many men who have this illness who kill themselves. And I have many friends who've killed themselves because of this illness. Um, and I do want to acknowledge that. And I also want to acknowledge that I haven't killed myself today. Praise God. I do identify as a recovered compulsive eater. And, um, and I'm so blessed by this doctor who is using this time to help me identify what my disease is, right? That I have this phenomenon of craving. And we're talking about different types, these classifications of, of compulsive overeaters. And he talks about the different types. Um, and then he says, you know what? Really, that's out of the, outside of the scope of this book. What's really important, or what, what, the, what I'm trying to hammer home, says Dr. Silkworth, is do you have this phenomenon of craving? This phenomenon of craving that when you put uh, ingredients and behaviors into your body, right, it doesn't care what number ingredient is. I have to have entire abstinence. If I put that food into my body and it's number nine ingredient, I put that food into my body and I'm not entirely abstinent. You know, people call me and they say, hey, you know, I'm on step five, but I'm using these foods or behaviors. Am I, you know, should I go back to step one? And the answer is you're at step one if you have this allergy of the body. You may not want to surrender to that, and that's okay. That's between you and God. But if you're like me, you're at step one, right? And then this obsession of the mind. And I, I want to just say that for me, this obsession of the mind is not just mental or not just emotional. It's mental. We talk a lot about the mental obsession. And mental health is actually my ability to process information, whereas emotional health is the ability to express feelings based on the information I have processed. And if you have my disease, for me, my ability to process reality goes through my character defects. It goes through my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my dishonesty and fear. I don't process reality. The only reason I can process reality today is because I have a recovered sponsor. I am a sponsee. I have, I, I show up. I do my 10 steps. But my reality, I was a victim of my whole life. And the reason I continued to fight was not because I had a disease in the parking lot doing push-ups, but because I have a disease inside of me that over any period of time gets worse, never better, and that processes and that, and that looks at you and doesn't know how to look at anything you do or say without considering me, right? And that is what I have to do today. I have to practice entire abstinence to be free of the phenomenon of craving, and then it is my privilege and my, and my, my requirement that I go through the steps and have a, a way to understand the world, because my thinking is broken, and I'm grateful that I have these tools today. Thank you, Katie G. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. Although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you shared yesterday or the day before, Please step back and let others have their turn. And please say your name just once. It does help me hear everybody. Who would like to share? Paul T. Colin G. Courtney M. Ginger C. Patricia C. Carolyn A. Okay, great. I've got a lineup. Thank you very much. I heard Paul T. Harlan G, 
Courtney M, Ginger C, Patricia C, and Carolyn H. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Um, well, God did it again. Uh, now, I say this, I'm not looking for sympathy, um, but my cousin did, uh, you know, give the supreme sacrifice on Monday. Um, I'm not looking for your pity or, you know, sympathy. I just, he did it again, and I realize um, that I, uh, there's no good reason for me to hurt myself because of something that happened to me or someone else. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't need to eat because someone did something to me. I mean, I, my abstinence is everything. And as I've heard Harlan say, it's either abstinence or die. I, I don't know if those are his exact words. But for today, I'm going to live and keep the memory of my cousin alive. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Paul T. Harlan G., it's your turn, followed by Courtney M. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you very much for your service, and uh, thank you to Team Wednesday for making this meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. The gravitational pull of the effect of the food is amazing, and many will pursue this to the gates of insanity or death. I watched my mother eat herself to death. I watched myself eat myself into an oblivion that was beyond death. I existed. This disease took everything from me. This disease took every shred of dignity from me. This disease emasculated me. It deformed me. It dragged me through pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. The food was my master. Bill Wilson says, alcohol was my master. Food was my master. And I was its I was its slave. I did whatever the food told me to do. I lived my life on food's terms. Now, here is the saddest of those things, saddest part. I will do it again if I stop working the steps. Dr. Silkworth tells us in the chapter that we are right now studying, he tells us on page XXVIII, that we like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, we cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. That means that I will eat an Oreo cookie thinking this time it's going to be okay and I will eat the entire container. The disease has two characteristics, the physical allergy and the twist of the mind but it has three traits as described in chapter three. It is, it is permanent, it is progressive, it is fatal. And many of us, many of us come in 
and we do not see a life in the food, and we do not see a life outside the food. We're here, but we're really not for a long time. I've seen this over many, many years. We're here, but we're still treating it as a diet. And what it is, is a way of looking at page 45. And it says, the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Without that, there's no, there's no recovery. What is my problem? My problem is that I have a lack of power over the buildup of these emotions that drive me into the food and food becomes a step up from where I am. And if it is the main object of this book to help me find a power greater than myself that will solve my problem, that better be the main object of my life. I come in here, the food is my master, it rules over me and it beats me down. There's only one solution to this problem, and that is a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. I don't have to fight anything anymore. Time, when I, I'm fighting, I'm going to lose. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan G. Courtney M., it's your turn, followed by Ginger C. Please go ahead, Courtney. Good morning. Thank you for your service, Lynn. This is Courtney M., um, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Southwest Florida. Uh, yeah. Um, so when I was really in, in the food, and that really was my life, and my life revolved around it, um, I felt often incredibly useless, incredibly useless. Like I was just, I was going through the motions to get through the, the day. And that's, that's about it. I didn't have um, realistic plans or expectations because I had unrealistic plans and expectations of, of being large and in charge and ruling the world in, in various ways. Um, but I was incredibly into my self-centeredness and my selfishness and in my self-centeredness and self selfishness in the food you know nothing else exists so when I'm in incredible pain that uh that ultimate sacrifice that looked kind of appealing it did I had several times when I was in my disease when that I was seriously planning that out and trying to you know figure out how to do it um, I can only give credit to my higher power for pulling me back from that decision and reminding me that I am not the only person in the world and I'm not the only person that this would affect if I chose that path. And thank God, um, this program and uh, having the ability to work with others allows me to feel useful and um that's one of the, the beautiful things I, I have found in, um, in this program is, is that connection with other human beings and, and having the ability to, to walk with others and, and hold their hand and, and walk towards the light, um, which is recovery. And um, with that, I'll pass. And thank you, Courtney M. Ginger C., it's your turn, followed by Patricia C. Good morning, Ginger. 
Hey, good morning, Lynn. I don't know if my connection's bad, so can you hear me okay? Perfectly, thank you. You can hear me? Yes, thank you. Okay, sorry. I just It's coming back weird on my end. Um, I am Ginger C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you so much, Lynn, for your service. And just a huge shout-out this morning again to this amazing meeting. I just love how we slow it down and we only read a paragraph, sometimes a few sentences, and the power that comes from that. I just was on two AA meetings. Um, One, we read half of a chapter. The other meeting, we read the entire chapter, and my head was exploding. I was like, I don't even know where to go. So it's just amazing how this all came together and what's happening for so many that have tapped into this phone call. Um, And thank God, because this sentence, this paragraph is extremely sad, that the supreme sacrifice, which is suicide, like Katie so beautifully highlighted, um, that it happens rather than continuing to fight. And what I've heard is the pain of living becomes greater than the pain of dying, and then sadly do come to this place where they can no longer keep moving. Um, And it all began because of the phenomenon of craving that first the allergy came in, they can't stop eating and they're dying in the food and they're dying in the pain. And that was my reality. That was where food finally brought me. And thank God I got there because this is a life and death situation. And I never saw that before. I just, you know, food was always going to help me. Food was the lesser of the two evils because I have many addictions and I wasn't drinking and I wasn't relapsing into the booze or the bottle or the pills or the drugs or the pot. Um, so it was okay. It was I was good to go. I needed something. I needed it now. And it was an option. And it remained an option for many, many, many days until again when the pain presses in and presses on, which it will, and it woke me up and it scared the crap out of me. And so in the AA 12 and 12, it says, under the lash of alcoholism, we are driven to AA, OA, and under there, we discover the fatal nature of our situation. This is life and death, and what are we doing? And again, you know, I just sadly, I think a lot of people come into OA, they want to lose the weight, or they're in some pain, but are they really done and out of ideas? I don't think so. And more importantly, Are you willing to go to any lengths for victory? Because those that are desperate and dying will do anything and everything to never return to the nightmare. Never. So, you know, a day at a time, here we go. Wash, rinse, repeat, and we just keep practicing. And I just want to be honest about something for myself. I have really been having a hard time with my practice of meditation and exercise. And I'm so grateful I just share this because I think COVID presses in low-grade depressions happen. I mean, it's just not easy times today. That's the reality. But a friend said, Ginger, you know, one, two, three, go. You just get up and go and do it. And uh, that has been a huge tool to help me. So I hope that might help another. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Patricia C., it's your turn, followed by Carolyn H., Good morning, Patricia. Press star one to unmute, Patricia. 
Oh, sorry. I thought I was unmuted. <laughs> when you said hi, Patricia, I'm like, oh, she hears me. Perfect. Um, so uh, you can hear me now, right? Yes, thank you. Okay, perfect. So um, I just, uh, I think I was in a lot of self-deception for so long. And I still, you know, I'm not, it's not perfect. I'm learning more and more about how to be honest, not just with people, but especially with myself and really admitting things. And, um, and I think one really shocking thing to me is that, you know, a few years ago, just five years ago, I had that moment where, you know, I was like, why am I even here? Like everything I do is the worst. I only mess things up. Um, I'm a worm. I'm the worst. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I think that, you know, leading, suicidal thoughts I didn't I didn't attribute it to the food I was actually pretty thin at the time um you know I was compulsively overeating but I was controlling and um, I was trying to work the program but I didn't understand them I didn't understand the steps I definitely didn't have a spiritual awakening um and when I look back on that time I see that that was the disease you know that and it says it in the book about how we go from these crazy lows and crazy highs or, you know, I've had moments where I think like, I'm going to be famous. Everyone is going to be like, she's amazing. Anyone who ever said anything bad about me is going to be like, I was so wrong, you know, grovel at my feet or whatever. Um, to moments like this where I think I, there's no point in living anymore. Um, like why? And um and I think that that's all that that's all the disease, you know, and it's all focused on myself. Um, and so I'm really thankful for this program to show me really for the first time, I maybe in my life, that to see who I really am and to be humbled. And I had definitely been humbled over and over again. But when I'm humbled, it's not this false humility, I guess you could say, where I, you know, think I'm, if I can't do everything perfectly, if my husband doesn't treat me the way, you know, I should be treated if everything doesn't work out the way that I expect it to work out. Um, if people get upset with me, well, that's a big one. If people get upset with me, then I am just the worst person in the world. I know, you know, you're not, and, and doesn't mean that you're not worth, it's not worth living. Um, to be able to really see, you know, oh, okay, take a step back, you know, I messed up here and not um, beat myself up, you know, with the food or with my own hands or, um, with just choices in my life. So I'm super, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for this program for helping me um, get to that place. Um, Cause I think that could have been in my future for sure. If I had kept on the way I was going, no matter how good life was, you know, cause I came into program this time when life was actually really, really good, but I was still compulsively overeating. And it helped me see that, you know, I, my disease is progressive and it didn't matter what life handed me. I was trying to try to escape. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Patricia C. And Carolyn H., it's your turn. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Um, Carolyn, a compulsive overeater in Atlanta. I'm just uh, thankful for this program, and I know for a fact the uh, effect that the food can, uh, affect, uh, can have on you as far as your health. Uh, I went to the doctor the other day, well, a while back. A little while back I did a physical, and uh, I was advised that I need to, you know, get the food under control because uh, uh, being diagnosed as a pre-diabetic, then uh, 
something with my cholesterol and all that kind of stuff. So I was advised, you know, the uh, sweets and the carbs and not doing enough exercise. And I'm just taking, you know, one day at a time. I'm, I'm thankful for this program. And I do, uh, you know, have a higher power, and I know the importance of uh, my higher power. I just turn everything over to my higher power. But uh, I know I'm probably repeating myself, but I do know that, you know, this is a deadly disease. Uh, I know people that have uh, suffered from, you know, overeating and eating too much and, you know, just the high from the food and all of that stuff. And uh, I'm just thankful today that I am in recovery and I know what I need to do and I'm thankful for uh, vision for you and everyone that's on this call today. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Carolyn H. And for those of us who might have come on the line a little bit later, we are continuing our study of the doctor's opinion and we're on page XXX. The first paragraph, there are many situations, and we're reading and commenting on that paragraph only. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you shared yesterday or the day before, please step back and let others have their turn. And please say your name just once. It does help me hear everybody. Who would like to share? Loretta Lauren H. N. Lynn, Melissa C. Carol, Carol Colleen M. Colleen M. N. Okay, let me Carol. tell you who I heard, please. I heard Loretta H., Lauren N., and Melissa C. Who did I miss? Colleen M. Okay, I think I heard Carmella. But that's all I heard. Hello. Who else did I miss? Colleen M. Dwight M. I heard Carmella, Colleen M., and I believe there was a gentleman. Dwight Carola. M. I'm sorry, Carola. sir. I still didn't get it. Carol O. Thank you, Carol. I'm trying to get the gentleman, please. Dwight. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. So our lineup is Loretta H., Lauren N., Melissa C., Carmela, Colleen M., and Dwight. Okay, Loretta H., please go ahead. Good morning, Lynn. Can you hear me? It's Loretta yes, H. Yes, I can. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who puts this beautiful, healthy meeting together. And... Um, this is Loretta H., and you all saved my life. Loretta H., anorexic, compulsive overeater, grace with God's abstinence for today, and recovered. Um, sacrifice rather than continue to fight. That's how I kind of came into the rooms. Um, I was going to jump off my terrace in New York City. With God's grace, I met a woman. Um, I don't know. It had to be God's grace. I, my abstinence is God's grace, who actually where the problem had been solved. And as I've shared before, she has a 
many, many years of recovery to this day. And um, I immediately gave her my food. She was a dietitian, so she came to my house and actually took all the bad ingredients out. Otter God, this is way before I even read the doctor's opinion. Um, and the uh, continue to fight. I have a brother-in-law who actually committed suicide because of this disease. Uh, he was going to lose his second leg to um, diabetes. And um, with God's grace and everything, it happened like 15 years into my recovery. And had I not known that this disease is tragic, this disease is deadly, this disease will kill you. If it doesn't kill you physically, it will kill you emotionally. And for me, the effect I get and the greatest effect for me is my anorexia. I've shared this before. It's when I go into that state of my disease, it is more, I've never done drugs, but it is the most powerful, powerful thing that can take me over or take me out. And with God's grace today, and because I don't open or allow myself to not open the second door of the disease, today I'm recovered from that and also from compulsively overeating because I've identified my um, trigger foods way back when, when I didn't even know they were trigger foods. I, I call my abstinence, some people call it struck abstinence. I was not struck. I was graced because that day in 2001, meeting my sponsor in the park was the greatest day, the grace out of darkness. And today, you know, my life isn't easy all the time, but I can tolerate my reality because I have steps, I have a God, I have a wonderful fellowship that I can, and I have sponsees and a sponsor who carries me every single day. And so with that, I pass, and I wish everybody a blessed and abstinent and recovered day because, you know, as Leah says, um, just live it today. If you have that, you can. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Loretta H. Lauren N., it's your turn, followed by Melissa C. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, fellow visionaries. Lauren N. from New York, a compulsive overeater sugar addict, and grateful today to be reading this, this paragraph. Um, well, one sentence. There are many situations which arose out of the phenomenon of craving which caused men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than to continue to fight. Supreme sacrifice, in in my experience, has been to commit suicide on the layaway plan. I am a gratefully clean and sober compulsive overeater today. But boy, 10 years ago, I wasn't even close. Or even five years ago, I wasn't even close. I was morbidly obese. I was approved for my second bariatric surgery within a day because of my BMI. I was giving myself four four shots of of insulin-type diabetes medicine every day. I was walking around in a 
30, size 32, which was small on me, and I had rolls coming out of my rolls. But that didn't matter. I was committing suicide every minute of every day, and I didn't care. I didn't care. I didn't care. I had been in therapy for years, and that had done nothing. I had been in therapy four times a week, and it had done nothing. I was done by this disease. And my gastroenterologist, sorry, my endocrinologist said, you will be dead if you keep this up. You need to go for surgery. So I did. I went for my second bariatric surgery, and I lost a lot of weight, and I was gaining it back when I came back, came into this room. And my message to others who have had these surgeries is they work until they don't. It is not something that changes our brain. The allergy of the body did me in. I was gaining my weight back after my second bariatric surgery, and it was going to be a 100-pounder. I did not, absolutely came crawling into this room on my hands and knees, and boy, have I not looked back since. Thank you all for teaching me how to read this book and how to believe in this book and to hold on to you guys and this message and to God and to know that there is a solution to get out of this brain. Thank you very much. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lauren N. Melissa C., it's your turn, followed by Carmela. Good morning, Melissa. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much, Lynn, for your service this morning. I'm Melissa C. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I live in New York. Um, you know, when I look at um, supreme sacrifice, it's the highest surrendering of a possession, and um, and it's actually over to the care of God, right? If you think about a sacrifice, it's something we give over to God. And But this paragraph is talking about um, when food is my God, when craving is my God. And, you know, um, that was the highest surrendering I made. I turned my life over to the false God, and it was food that enslaved me. And, you know, what I found was... Um, I had no choice but to sacrifice myself more and more, more and more to the craving. You know, I gave over um, my physical body, right, my self-respect, my values, my relationships, this disease. You know, yeah, I've heard it's like suicide on the layaway plan. And for me, it was like suicide by amputation. You know, I didn't have I didn't have any limbs amputated, but, you know, I know that there's diabetics who do. Um but amputation, meaning it cut off more and more of my life. It cut off me from my standards. My standards got lower and lower. Um, you know, at first I'd cancel plans that didn't seem important, right? Um, like I reneged on what seemed more important, a commitment to being a friend's bridal party because I got too fat to fit in the dress that she picked out. You know, I sacrificed, um, for me, the ability to play on the floor when my children were little. I couldn't get on the floor. That disease took that. Um, I missed a, a friend's funeral. Um, you know, this craving, it demands everything. And what happens is you become a person you just don't even like very much. And so eating yourself to death um, doesn't sound so bad. You know, like I reached a point where 
I would say, who cares? I don't even care. I don't even care. And, you know, that to me is just how do you fight that? How do you fight the feeling when you don't even care? And, um, you know, I did care. It was just it was stronger. It was stronger than my own moral standards. It was stronger than what I wanted. It was stronger than my knowledge. You know, I can't fight this with morals, with standards, and with knowledge. And what it actually is required is a supreme sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice to a higher power, a power that's actually higher than the craving, powerful, more powerful than food. And um, and when I sacrifice myself over, like that's step three, right? I turn myself over to the care of this God. I actually get my life back. I actually am a person who can live um within the boundaries of my own morals, my own codes. I don't renege on things. I don't cancel at the last minute. I'm someone who cares deeply about the life I have and with the life of others. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. And Carmela, it's your turn, followed by Colleen M. And if we can have the initial of your last name, please, Carmela. Okay, I think I misheard that name. So let's go on to Colleen M. Colleen, good morning. Lynn, would it be Carol O? No, Carol, I have you at the end. Thank you. Colleen M., are you there? Lynn, it's Carmela G., Okay, Carmela, there you are. Good morning, Carmela. Please go ahead. Thank you. This is Carmela G., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from New York. Uh, The reason I wanted to share this morning is because this reading brought me back a memory of a very dear friend. She was an eating buddy and a dear friend who gave up her life to the disease. And it was... At a friend's wedding, a mutual friend's daughter's wedding, that it was the first time in my recovery that I saw how this disease is truly evil. It owns us so dramatically because my friend was a bright woman, she was a school teacher. She had lots to live for, a husband who adored her, children, grandchildren, everything that we all think, this is what will make my life wonderful. This is it. This is it. This is what I'm searching for. And when she saw me after I went into program and was recovered, she said, what the hell did you do? And I spoke of program. And she said, oh, no, no way, not me. And then we attended this friend's daughter's wedding, and I watched how the food owned her, the vacantness in her eyes, that her only focus, not her husband sitting next to her or her daughter who helped her dress because now she's in a wheelchair, she's already had a stroke, She's already had a heart attack, 
and she was only 60 years old and how her daughter was there with her and how they loved her. No, she wasn't aware of that love. She wasn't aware of God's love for her. All she was aware of was what's the next? What's the next? And into her plate. And she just was consumed. And it was shortly after that wedding that she died. It took her out for the last time. And the sorrow and the grief at her funeral. And I thought, how selfish we are when we allow this substance to own us so much that it's our driving force and no amount of love. And that's what I understood about frothy emotional appeal. This short paragraph brought all those thoughts to my mind, and I needed to share them. And thank you so much for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Carmela G. And Colleen M., it's your turn, followed by Dwight. Please go ahead, Colleen. Press star one to unmute, Colleen. Okay, Dwight, are you available to share? Hi, this is Dwight M. from Ohio, a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm grateful for 24 hours of recovery if I surrender myself over uh, to my higher power. I appreciate being able to share on the line, and thank you all for your service and all the shares uh, so far this morning. What uh, struck me is... uh, Hearing all these shares is a phrase I got. Uh, I was listening to a program before where someone said that we're uh, digging our graves with our forks, and that image always stuck in my mind as uh, when we when I heard the phrase "ultimate sacrifice," uh, the death that comes as a result of the hopelessness. I think uh, what I'm grateful for is that the hopelessness we get to, the hopeless condition of the mind and body that we get to, is is the place where we start to then recover. And uh, I regret and I hate to think of the folks who get to that hopeless point and then they don't hear about the solution or they don't hear about that a spiritual awakening can take us from that state of hopeless mind and body into a a fourth dimension, rocketing us into that fourth dimension of recovery and this reality that we never knew existed. I know that uh, I still struggle to to feel that way, to feel the, (laughs) the fourth dimension all the time. I'm often struggling with fear and often struggling with a lot of my uh, bedevilments and character defects. But what I'm aware of is if if I can manage to surrender and give up to my higher power, that there's hope and uh, that it it comes one day at a time. It comes through working the 12 steps. It comes by getting the chance to be with you all on this meeting. And uh, so I'm, I'm really grateful. Thank you all for your time. Thanks for helping me get over this disease one day at a time. I'm, I'm really grateful for you. Oh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Dwight M. And Carol O., it's your turn. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Lynn. Thanks for your service. And Kim, thank you so much for explaining that paragraph. 
Um, my sponsor's very thorough and she would have brought me to the big book, but I think my mind shut that down. Um, the supreme sacrifice. Uh, for today, I buried a son six months ago to suicide and I buried two other family members. But I want to talk about the solution. Um, I was brought to the gates in insanity and almost death myself um, because I couldn't bear the pain of living and I didn't know how to live um, and that was my problem. The food was just a symptom. I'm mentally and physically um, different than my fellow men but my solution today, my relapses in the past have taught me that um, number one, that I had no proper connection to my higher power. My sponsors lovingly stayed with me and kept her right and um, guiding me back to the big book and my my perception of my higher power, which is my solution. Um, and I don't know why today that I think a higher power has basically let me live today to to give back, to give back in the program, to be of use and be of service because this is not, it's only a daily reprieve on the work I put in. Um, and the solution is working on my emotional buildup. First of all, the connection with the higher power. God, what would you have me be today? How would you have me be today? And where can I be of service? And it's as somebody else in the line shares, get out of self. And I know in the last few months, that's what's helped me to stay out of self-pity and stay out of self is getting into action and using my experience on how to help others um, based on what I have, which today is is clean abstinence. It's a way of dealing with life and life's terms. And that's through working the steps to watch my selfishness, my dishonesty, my self-seeking. That's my problem with people in relationships, um, getting into self and getting into character defects. Um, I just wanted to share today and um, thank you for the opportunity and just living in the solution. I'm living in the promises. Recovery does not guarantee me a rose colored life, um, but it certainly grants me peace and serenity to deal with life as it comes and live in the solution and not live in the problem. The food never, never solved anything for me. It just kept me stuck and kept my grief and pain at bay, always waiting to catch up with me. Um, and I had to eat more on that. I have a different way of living today, a, a way that works for me. And I'd gladly share that with others and sponsees and anybody in the programme. Um, this really does work. I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Carol O. We have time for two two-minute shares. Who would like that time? Jason Kay. Sandy B. Okay, that's great. Thank you. I believe I heard Jason K and Sandy B. Please go ahead, Jason. Thank you. This is Jason K, recovered compulsive eater and clinic outside of Philadelphia. And this is a really poignant, powerful, short paragraph. The phenomenon of craving has made many men to make the, the supreme sacrifice, which, you know, I assume is this suicide or killing oneself. And you know, this word craving, we don't use it in this context in the normal sense. If you look around at uh, your world and your families, maybe your work, and you see other people and they say, oh, I have a craving for this, that, or the other thing. 
and you ask them, you know, well, uh, what happens when you get a craving? They say, well, you know, I eat that thing and then I don't have the craving anymore. And I look at those people in astonishment because that's not what a craving is for me. Um, this phenomenon of craving uh, arises when this allergy is abnormal at first. Um, reaction and it's abnormal because most people don't get it they can eat a little bit you know portion control works for them and if you're new try to ask what what this question uh sorry what this paragraph means to you does it ring true in your own experience does this phenomenon of craving become paramount in your mind when you start eating certain foods certain alcoholic foods certain foods food senses, food behaviors create this crazy abnormal difficult reaction in me that I can't control no matter how hard I try to control it I continually end up in, in, a, in a feeling of failure discouragement um, self-judgment and for me that 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 carried into deep deep self-hate I felt like I was always at the, the mercy of this uh this this phenomenon of craving just continually falling flat on my face failing to meet my own expectations making this you know, this commitment to myself, I'm going to stop eating compulsively, I'm going to stop eating those foods. And then I couldn't say stop. And then I'd start again. And then I'm off to the races uh, uh, time and time again. This is uh, clear, clear uh, clearly showing us, pointing us to the powerlessness that we suffer from. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Jason K. And Sandy B., you'll be our last share this morning. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning. Thank you for letting me share. This is Sandy B. in Virginia. And as I was listening to people share, it, I was taken back to my brother who committed suicide in 2014. He was the youngest of six of us. And he lived in Florida, so we did not see him a lot, but we saw him on various holidays. And he was very athletic. But later on, you know, I noticed when we saw him, he was put on weight, what have you. I'll fast forward to, um, I don't know, we don't know why someone does it, what's going through their mind, but one thing that I can relate to, which I'm sure he dealt with, was some depression. And for me, it's the obsessive thinking, the obsessive negative thinking, anxiety. And for me, I get that when sometimes I ingest my binge foods and that going back and forth to, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, why did I do that? Da, 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 da. And couple that with the negative, putting myself down and all of that whirling around in my head. And sometimes that it's just so intense, I want to scream. And that is what I use food for to, to calm myself down from that. I now know that that's what the steps are for, and that is what God can do for me when I ask for his help. And I want to thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sandy B. Thank you to everyone who shared, and thank you to our wonderful Wednesday workforce. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Wednesday, August the 19th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 15184. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. 
Will Wendy M. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. Thank you, Lynn. My name is Wendy M., a recovered compulsive overeater in Raleigh, North Carolina. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. We ask him in Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.